This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for a worship Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first reading is from Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. The second reading is from Romans chapter 4. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, no, now, to know, now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to, to one who without works trusted, trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is adherent of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, of the God in whom he believes, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence to things that do not exist. The third chapter of John. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. 
The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I don't know what all was required, what kind of degree you had to get or anything like that to become a Pharisee. There aren't many clues given, but certainly Paul, in his writings, boasts about the training that he's had to become a Pharisee, boasts about his knowledge of the law, and it would certainly seem to be a reasonable assumption that if one was going to be a Pharisee, one had to be fairly conversant in those things, in the law, in the traditions, in what was required by God to be a good person. Nicodemus had a worldview. He had what we might refer to as a good foundation in the faith. And he brings that foundation to Jesus. The story says that Nicodemus came to Jesus out of the darkness at night. And certainly, it's possible to read things into this that maybe Nicodemus didn't want anyone to see him when he went to see Jesus. Maybe he was afraid of what people might think. Some have suggested that maybe Nicodemus was trying to trick Jesus, trying to catch him up in his words, as we certainly find the Pharisees doing in other situations. But the story doesn't talk about any of that. All it talks about is this guy who comes to see Jesus at night. And the fact that it happens at night, for me anyway, kind of sets this scene. You can imagine Nicodemus coming in, sitting down with Jesus with a candle or a little oil lamp or something, and all of a sudden the world becomes no larger than just these two individuals and the discussion that they are going to have. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, we know that you are a teacher sent from God. 
For no one could do these things unless God was working with and through them. And at this point, one might expect Jesus to say, well, thank you very much. Or very insightful of you. Or you're on the right track or, or, or something. But instead, Jesus hits him up with a non sequitur. Nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. And instantly, you can, at least when I read this story, I see Nicodemus being thrown back on his heels. And instantly, he's trying to keep up. Uh, 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 How can someone be born again? And Jesus just doubles down on it and says, you have to be born of the Spirit. And then he keeps going. And he says, spirit is spirit. Flesh is flesh. The wind comes and goes. You hear it. What's the sound of one hand clapping? What is all this stuff until finally Nicodemus just in desperation says, how can this be? I like this story because it doesn't really matter who Nicodemus is. Whether he is a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a a zealot, a fisherman, he's me. I'm the one who comes into this story with a certain amount of certainty. After all, I've read a little bit of scripture and I have a clue as to who this Jesus is that he's talking to. And so I can say along with Nicodemus, I know who you are. But then Jesus starts throwing all this stuff. Nicodemus doesn't get it, and I don't get it. And so along with Nicodemus, I'm the one saying, how can this be? Nicodemus doesn't have the answers, perhaps, that Jesus wants to hear, but he comes with the right question. Because that question, how can these things be? It's a positive question. It's an open-ended question. It's a question that admits for possibilities. He doesn't say, I don't get it, I'm going home. He doesn't say, these things cannot be. He doesn't say, you're wrong. He says, how can these things be? And it seems to me that that's a question that might be well worth asking more often in life. How can a Medicare for all system work? In a nation that 200 years ago supposedly turned its back on slavery, how can we still be dealing with sexual slavery? How can you be a Republican and still be a human being? How can you be a Democrat and still have any sense of morals? How can these things be? It invites further conversation. It invites an opening up. It invites conversation. 
Nicodemus has come to Jesus because he wants to understand. He wants to learn more. I'm not sure how far he gets, but in this moment, in the light of this this candle or lamp, a relationship begins. One-on-one, a relationship begins. And it is the nature of relationships that they change us. When we come to another person, when we are open with another person, we become vulnerable to being changed. I remember when the church was dealing with the issue of uh, LGBTQ people in the church and what the church could do for them and what the church thought that they should be allowed to do in the church. There seemed to be just endless talk about it. And person after person would get up and give very carefully crafted, well-documented arguments, citing chapter and verse. And for the most part, they all meant well. They were trying their hardest to think through this. But the most compelling speakers were the ones who got up and said they knew somebody that they had a son or daughter who had come out and who wanted to be in the church. They had a niece or nephew who was transgender, who wanted to have their relationship blessed by the church, that they knew this person or that person, and almost invariably they would get up and say, I used to think this way. Now I see it this way. People have the power to do that to us, especially those that we love, especially those that we are in close relationship with. They have the power to change us. And certainly Nicodemus seems to experience this. He comes to Jesus and he becomes vulnerable to what Jesus is saying until that desperate question, how can this be, shows that he's come unmoored from the certainty that he thought he had. And in doing so, he has begun a journey of transformation, a journey that will change him. Because after all, we will find later in the gospel that it is Nicodemus who will stand up before his fellow Pharisees and say, we should listen to this guy. We should hear what he has to say, what he has to say before we condemn him. And it is the same Nicodemus who, along with Joseph of Arimathea, will take the battered and torn body of Jesus off the cross and wash it and prepare it for burial. This is a man who has been transformed from the first time that we meet him. This power of 
of relationship to transform we see happening again and again in Scripture. Peter comes into relationship with Jesus and we see him going down this rocky road of discovering just who he is and who God is. At one moment declaring loudly, you're the son of God. At the next moment denying everything he had said before and at another moment rediscovering anew who this Jesus is. Or Jesus with the Syrophoenician woman. Do you remember that story where she comes asking Jesus to heal her daughter? And Jesus says, no, I'm not here to deal with the dogs. I'm just here to deal with the children of God, the Israelites. But then she persists and she shows such a level of faith that Jesus himself is forced to reevaluate what it is that God is doing in the world. Jesus himself has to open up his horizon to understand a slightly different vision of what the kingdom of God might look like, a kingdom of God that includes these foreigners. And now Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and again through the power of conversation and through the power of being in his presence is transformed. And isn't that what the incarnation is about? It is God coming into relationship with us, deep and true relationship, such that he enters into this flesh. He enters into this this blood and bones and comes to truly know who I am, who you are. And I believe that God is transformed in that. And we certainly are transformed. By the indwelling of God, we are transformed to see each other differently. To get under each other's skin. And in doing so, to see the world a little bit the way others see it. To walk just a little bit in their shoes. And we realize that these boundaries that we put up between us are porous. That they are flexible. That's hard to say just exactly where one person begins and another one ends. And I think it is for that reason that God calls us into community. It's hard to be the church by ourselves. Although if this coronavirus stuff keeps going, we may have to try it. But God calls us to come together into community and it's here in the messiness of living together, of hearing together, praying together, singing together that we start to be transformed. It's in our own Lutheran theology that this this stuff is just bread when we're by ourselves. It isn't until we come together as a community that we recognize this as something more. That Christ comes and Christ is here with us and in us such that God's body becomes our body. And our body becomes God's body.
I'm not sure Nicodemus gets very far in this conversation with Jesus. And I can imagine him going back into the night, scratching his head and mumbling to himself, wondering what in the world this rabbi that he started out by saying, you're such a great teacher. Now he's going away wondering what in the world he's talking about. But we see that Nicodemus has been changed. Martin Luther has a wonderful and well-known quote about faith not being a destination, but a road. We are on this road of transformation, and we are being transformed by God and by each other. And we will not know who we are destined to be, what this body of Christ will look like until that process of transformation, until that journey is finished, until this work in progress is finally brought into the fullness of being, and then we will know. But meanwhile, how can this be is a very good question to ask ourselves and to ask each other, and maybe get just a little further down that road. Amen.